When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Malone. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Heather Wagoner, Director of Student Engagement and Campus Life at Virginia Tech, and we'll be talking about her experience of failing her doctoral qualifying exam. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dana. I'm so excited, and it's this is an honor. Thank you. Well, we are thrilled to have you with us today, um, Heather. And I, I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, thanks for asking. So it's always such a interesting question when somebody tell you about yourself. I'm going to do what I normally don't do. I'm not going to talk about my work first. I'm going to talk about the other great things in my life. So, um, you know, I, I wear a lot of hats and I have a lot of roles and titles in my life. Um, most importantly to me, I'm a wife and a mother. Um, I'm a daughter, I'm a niece, I'm an aunt, I'm a sister, I'm a friend. Um, I am the CEO of the Wagoner household. Uh, So there's a lot of different roles. And, you know, I tell you, sometimes those roles bolster me up. Sometimes they feel overwhelming, but I carry them with me always. And I think they ultimately ground me and who I am and and who I want to be and and the values that I hold. Um, But some other pieces too. I love musical theater. I love it so much. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius in my brain. Um, I love dancing and a good mystery book. Um, I like pizza and movie nights. We try to do that every Friday night in our house. And I always look forward to that and devouring popcorn. And um, one of my most favorite things is spending time on the beach at 5 p.m that for whatever reason is like the perfect time for me on the beach. And I just love it and long for it. And it's where I think I feel most at peace in some ways. So um, I always value those times as well. Um, So that's, you know, outside of work, a few things about me. Um, But in terms of also the great work life. So something you should know about me is that both of my parents went to James Madison University, otherwise known as JMU. And so um, my life was predetermined. I would also be going to JMU. We have, I have a picture, um, I'm on my dad's shoulders and I'm in a JMU sweatshirt and pom-poms at like age two. So really not only was going to JMU ingrained, but going to college was ingrained. This was just, this was just a thing, um, that I was, I was going to do. And, um, they were right. So, uh, I did in fact go to JMU. I majored in communication studies and I minored in theater. Um, I was one of those students that's very typical, I guess, for those of us in student affairs, I was highly involved in my residence hall. I was a student ambassador. I was in a sorority. I helped start a service organization. So 
um, did a lot of things outside the classroom. Honestly, that excited me more sometimes than was going on inside the classroom. But um, I just loved being involved. I loved being around other student leaders, the mentors. It just it filled me with joy and hope um, when I was at JMU. And uh, I had the opportunity to study abroad between my junior and senior year um, that summer in Ireland, which hands down one of the best decisions of my life. I wish everyone could study abroad. Um, but that decision also meant I had to get a job senior year because I would normally have worked in the summer and I got a job at our college union. And that's really where everything shifted for me, um, where I learned that this isn't just a passion, this can actually be a career. And so I quickly started trying to figure out, well, how do I actually make this a career? Because I thought I was going to be in public relations and I didn't know how you get started in higher education. And a lot of fateful twists happened. And I actually was hired on as the first out-of-state admissions counselor for Longwood University, which is a beautiful, small public institution uh, here in Virginia. And that made me realize uh, yep, this is for me. I'm hooked. I want to help students find where they can fully grow and emerge as their whole self. Um, and I, that was it. So I applied and it was admitted to the higher ed program at University of South Carolina and um, was the graduate assistant for Carolina Productions, which was their programming board. And that was it. I mean, that really it's why I've stayed in student involvement. It's been, you know, part of it the whole time for me, um, just this love for it. But I've made the best friends at South Carolina. We're still in touch. We try to do girls trips every five years. Um, it was amazing. And South Carolina really propelled me out into the world for my first uh, job post-master's was at University of Kentucky, um, Dana, where we met. And I'm so grateful for that. And I spent 10 years there in a number of roles, meeting amazing students and professionals and it's where I started my PhD journey, which I know we're going to talk about. So I've hopped not very much. I really, you know, invest where I am, but I'm so grateful to be a part of the higher ed community. It's tough right now. It's been tough, but I remain hopeful about what the college experience can do for our students and for our nation and for our world. I think at its finest, higher education is really the place where you get to grow and mess up and flounder and succeed and figure out who you are and what your values are and how you want to be a part of our culture and our community. And that's exciting to me. How amazing to be a part of someone's journey like that. So um, yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. And now I'm at Virginia Tech and I'm living my best life back in our home state. Um, just so grateful to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing about yourself. And um, as Heather mentioned, um, we do know each other. And I always like to um, let our listeners know when I'm talking with um, someone that I know personally. So Heather and I do go way back to the University of Kentucky. We um, met in our uh, doc program there and we're, we were uh, studying at the same time. And I don't, I don't think we ever, yeah, I don't think we ever actually worked in the same office, but, um, but we crossed over in our, in our classes, uh, very much. And, um, 
and yeah, we got to be friends and it was just, um, it was really lovely. Um, so many wonderful people, as our listeners know, I've had um, several people from the University of Kentucky on um, because it was just a, and still is just a wonderful place of colleagues and, um, and mentors and just a wonderful program and a wonderful place to uh, study and work. And um, a lot of those relationships, um, I'm still, they still sustain me and they, I'm doing work with a lot of folks from, from that time. Um, I still have mentors from that time and um, just such rich, um, I think of my time there as just so rich um, in relationships and connections. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And you being one Heather, and I'm so, um, honored that you came on the show and we've been we've been trying to schedule this episode for months and months and so I'm thrilled that we're actually getting to have this conversation um, on air and I want to start um, before we dive in by just thanking you uh, for your willingness to share your experience because it really does take vulnerability and courage to discuss our failures and our setbacks publicly um, I, I'd say that across the board and then I think at add in the academy and it's even more so because in the academy, we really just want to talk about all the things where we do well and our successes. Um, it's really counterintuitive to talk about our quote unquote failures um, in the in the academy. And I use quotes there because I've done some other episodes on failure, quote unquote, um, because I don't really, there's so much stigma attached to that word. And I really, I like the idea of missteps or setbacks, things that, you know, don't go as we planned, but we can turn them around into um, lessons and successes. And sometimes we just need to change course. So, um, so I just want to thank you and, and honor the vulnerability and the courage that you're displaying today by coming on the show and talking about, um, about this experience. So thank you, Heather. Absolutely. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> so let's start with a little context about your doc program and your experiences leading up to your qualifying exams, just to sort of help set the stage for our listeners and our discussion today. Sure. Yeah. So um, I started taking classes in the doc program at Kentucky in 2007. So I had been at Kentucky for two years. I was working full time, super demanding, you know, job working with students. Um but I really became inspired. I started seeing some other leaders and I was like, maybe I want to do that someday. And I felt and still feel that a PhD helps open doors um, across the academy, including in student affairs, when you think about executive level, uh, administrative kind of roles. So I honestly like did it the way I would not recommend, which is I was like, I'm just going to do this. Like I didn't have a vision for myself as a doctoral student. I just was like, what's interesting to me? What fits my schedule? I'm the type of person, like, I'm curious about everything. I just find people neat and their stories neat and information is cool. And so that was kind of how I approached my doctoral program. And I remember um, Dr. Jane Jensen, who's amazing. She was like, that's awesome. As a, when you're a student in our classes, it's not so great now because I just was interested in like everything everything. And I, at one point was going to try to study like how media uh, portrays higher education and how that then affects expectations of our incoming students and their families, which I still think would be a cool project. Um, I was kind of all over the place. And then I really started settling in on this idea of wanting to explore the experiences of student women leaders. There was just very little research out about this. I was interested in the cross-section of gender and leadership. I was interested in the cross-section of, of student development in this specific time in their lives, where for some, 
women, this may be the first time they've had a positional um, leadership position, some of which were very public for, for young people. And, um, and that's ultimately where I, I landed was on that, um, on that topic. But I tell you, Dana, I was kind of all over the place. Um, and I'm sure I was maddening as a student for some, but also had the most encouraging faculty. And, and so, and I did all of this part-time. So I worked full-time the whole time I was a student all the way through, I was a part-time student taking um, about six credit hours a semester, but that, that takes a while. Um, so it was a long, it was a long journey um, from the beginning to walking was 10 years. Mm. That's a decade for those who <laughs> counted in a different way. It's a long time. Um, so yeah, so I was uh, messy, I guess. Um, yep. But nonetheless, that was, that was how I did it. And, and I want to note here, so the program um, is uh, educational policy and evaluation. And, and that program, um, you know, it wasn't, you had a mix, um, as, as you do in a lot of higher ed um, focused programs where there are folks who w- were, you know, going the scholarly route, they wanted to be professors. And then there was a lot of folks who were going to be in like administrative leadership um, in the academy. And, and so there was, you know, the program was split. There was a lot of students who were full-time students and a lot of students who worked full-time in different roles, um, both at that institution and other local institutions. And so, you know, that's not uncommon um, in a higher ed program. And so, um, you know, that experience of, of going part-time and, and working alongside your academic work. Um, a lot of people did that in our program and, and is no small feat, um, especially in a, in a student affairs, when you're working a full-time student affairs job, which tends to be very demanding and after hours and, and weekends and all, and all of that. So, so that was just, I wanted to kind of set up the, the experience that, and, and where you were. And I appreciate your vulnerability and even your reflection on, you know, where you were when you started that of just kind of being, you know, just open and all over, which sometimes is uh, a wonderful trait to have and other times can work to our disadvantage. Yeah, you should definitely use it sparingly uh, at times. But, and I'll, I'll say too, Dana, it made me think when you were talking, the University of South Carolina program was very traditional. My master's program, I felt like it was a very traditional student affairs program was practitioner based, right? Like we're learning and then we're going to put it into practice. And that's what I was used to. And, you know, and, and I just graduated in that program in 2005, two years later, started the Kentucky program. And they're just vastly different programs, equal merit, both wonderful programs, but so different. And I don't know if I ever fully processed, well, this is a totally different experience. Like by the time I realized that I was halfway through, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. huh, maybe I, I just, probably made assumptions and just jumped in head first. Um, but also just contrasting two very different experiences. Mm. Yeah, no, good, good point. Um, so let's, um, let's go back to that day, if you would, of your first, uh, your first attempt at the qualifying exam. Mm -hmm. Um, tell us about that, that experience that day. So it's not my favorite day, but it's an important day to talk about and remember. So I, you know, I, For us, with our qualifying exams, we're giving four questions from our faculty, give or take. Each question is going to be about a 30-page paper or lit review. And um, once you kind of get your questions, you're set off into the world. And I think I had a year as a part-time student. Um, You know, and I think to some extent, even probably when I went into that space, because you have no feedback, right? You're just, you don't know how the faculty are responding to your work. 
just going in there and you're having a scholarly conversation. That makes it sound very intimidating for me, scholarly conversation. Um, but, you know, you're, I'm, for me, I remember I'm sitting out in the hallway on the floor, like all dressed up on the floor. There's really nowhere to sit. It's very public. Oh, what are you doing here? Oh, hey. You know, that kind of thing. And, well, I'm going to um, sit for my quals. A lot of my friends knew. A lot of my colleagues knew this was happening. Um, and you go into the space. I was really intimidated by the space. Um, didn't know if I was on the right footing or not. And honestly, the actual conversation, that one, my first go with Qualls, I couldn't even tell you what happened in that room because that's not the memory that sticks out for me. The memory is what happened after. So I go back out in that same hallway that I was waiting in before. Again, no privacy. And I was out there like a real long time. And I was like, something's not going great. And like my husband, who was not no, he was my husband at the time. Um, Ryan, it, Ryan was you know checking in on me, and I'm like, I don't know, this isn't this isn't great. I don't think this is great. I don't know though. And my chair at the time came out and was very kind, and but ultimately, I did not pass. Um, and we're going to regroup, right? We're going to regroup. It was when I went back in the space with with my. Um, the folks on my committee, everyone was very kind. We're going to regroup. There wasn't any like, you just can't hack this. Like I never felt like that was the tone. I think the tone was, this isn't your best work. We know you can do better. We're going to work with you. So they took my questions from four to three, two faculty members combined questions, re-looked at some things. I think one question was retooled altogether. Um, So everyone was kind of working with me, but then ultimately I had to make a choice as to whether I wanted to try again or not. And of course I was also on a clock with that and couldn't have forever. Um, And so I left that space completely demoralized. I went to my car and just bawled. I felt such shame. I wasn't even like I disappointed my, I mean, I disappointed myself. I think part of it was like, it was more about shame. All these people are going to know I failed. I'm not someone who fails often. I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I'm a type A. I'm an achiever. I've, you know, was on the honor organization at South Carolina. Like, I'm not like, who is, what is this? Um, There's just a whole lot of shame, a whole lot of shame that I felt that day and just humiliation. I didn't want to see anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to talk to Ryan. I didn't want to talk to my mom. Um, I wanted to just bury my face in a pillow and crawl under covers and not be seen. I wanted to be invisible. Um, it was a really painful day. Um, and I sure that day was not like, I shall proceed. Like I was in mourning, I think to some degree that day um, at some level of what I had thought was going to happen next. I had to let go of that and recalibrate. Um, and that was in, I think it was either late April or early May um, because my wedding anniversary is in May and we had a trip planned to Asheville for our one year anniversary. And I think this was weeks later and I was still carrying like that shame. Like my husband's like, you have to let it go. Like you have to take a breath. But like, I just was carrying that shame and disappointment. I couldn't shed it. It took, it took a while. It took probably two, three months before I could kind of shed that and think about what do I want to do next? Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and I, 
Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that so candidly. I And I, and I want to get to, we're going to talk about what you did next, but I, I want to just linger here for a minute and acknowledge and just kind of <laughs> unpack um, the significance. So, so how, at that point, talk to us about how long, because in my mind, I'm thinking about, it's an investment at that point. How, how long had you been in the program? So the qualifying exams and this, every program is a little bit different, but it comes after your coursework. It's your comps for some, for some folks they call it the comps, right? It's after, um, and in our program, it was after coursework, but before your dissertation proposal. So you had to pass your quals or your comps, um, in between there. So what was the time frame? How long had you been taking classes and in the program at that point? Yeah, I started classes fall 2007, and this was spring 2011. So it had been a while. And I, I, I mean, I think I took almost that whole year to write. I got married May 2010. Um, I got like a new opportunity at work. Like there was a lot going on where I finished my coursework and moved to Qualls as well. Um, like a lot of big life things. And so, you know, I, I, to be honest, like I couldn't tell you, like, I don't even really remember writing my quals the first time. Everything, spoiler alert, everything goes back to when I tried again. That's the memory that I keep for whatever reason. Maybe it's because it's <laughs> tethered to a happier ending. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a long, this was a long investment in, in working full time and doing this part time. I mean, it was my life. <laughs> I was either working or studying about my work environment, <laughs> but I wanted to, you know, and so it was pretty dominating. And and so then to have such a setback like that after this investment, it's like, well, come on, man. Like at some point too, I'm like, I want to be done. I don't want this to be my life for forever. Um, and that light at the end of the tunnel, it was like, it just went dark. Um, and I couldn't see my, at that moment, I couldn't see my way. Out. Yeah. And so I, I asked that question just to kind of pose the, or juxtapose the, you have years of investment, like mm-hmm. five plus years of investment in this program. And in, a, in you know, in one day, I, I'm, I'm sure you're contemplating, has that, is this just over? Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever think about quitting? Was that, oh, yeah. was that an option on the table for you Ew. after- in theory, yeah. let me, I want to say one other quick thing, Dana, and I want to answer that question. I will say for me, um, quals were the loneliest time I'd ever felt in my academic career. It was just lonely. You were just all on your own. And that was such a different experience. Um, and I even think about students coming up now, right? They're even more accustomed to group work and we're going to do this together. And it was just a terribly lonely experience. And I don't think I Academically, I don't thrive in isolation. Um, and I learned that, I think, through this experience as well. Um, but to, to your question, did I think about quitting? Yes, girl, I've thought about quitting. I mean, I don't consider myself a quitter, um, but I was also like, is this really worth it? Like, is this really worth what I feel, like what I feel? And there were two substantial conversations. The first day I know was with you, whether you remember or not, it was at your kitchen table. And um, Dr. Jensen had recommended I talk with you because you just had such a fluid process to your work. And she thought that could help me kind of organize and think differently and actually maybe even develop more of a process for myself um, if I chose to try again, which was so valuable because it made me for the first time feel like, Wait, maybe I can do this. 
Um, and I hadn't felt that in a long time. Um, and the other conversation was my friend Amy from grad school. And, you know, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And she was like, you do though. She's like, where do you want to, where do you want to take your career? Like, what do you want to do? How do you want to invest? And, you know, really started kind of, I had to admit, like, I'm not ready to also close the door on what I could do to help reshape higher education, to help shape student engagement and allowing students to have these experiences that I genuinely believe can be transformational for some. Um, I just didn't want to shut the door on what could be. And she was like, so that, so yes, then you got to buckle up, girl, let's go. You know, and she kind of gave me that kick in the pants that I need. Cause at that point it was probably November or December. And I was taking my sweet time with my first question, still kind of trying to figure out, do I want to do this or not? Knowing I had two more questions to finish and I needed to get done by April. Um, so those two those two moments, I think, kind of pulled me out of that darkness and pulled me out of the fog and allowed me to get some clarity on, all right, it's now or never. So we're we going to do this or not. And I was at a fork in the road and I had to make a decision. Hmm. I want to I want to just respond to a couple things there. Um, one, as you were talking and I was thinking about my question um, and language is really important to me. Um, lexicon is really important to me. And so even my question of quitting, I, I want to like correct myself and say, I don't even like that word um, because quitting implies some really negative thing. And it's really just um, for some folks we have, for all of us, we have experiences that cause us to change direction to, to go a different direction than we might have planned. And so that is a better way to frame that question than saying quit quitting. I think it feels like quitting to a lot of us when we stop and change direction, especially to those of us who are type A achiever people, right? Like it feels like the ultimate of quitting, but, um, for listeners out there who are at their own crossroads, sometimes a change of direction is just what's necessary. And there are experiences in our, in our lives that propel us in that. And I, I'm just going to, take a quick moment here to tell, to share a story of another friend that I had. She was a yoga instructor in my yoga studio in Lexington, which was one of my favorite spaces as well. Um, in, in that time of my life and in that city. Um, and she was in, I believe a sociology PhD program. And, um, so she, so I, I say she's a yoga teacher. She was my yoga teacher because she'd walk around and she had this gorgeous tattoo of a dove on her top of her foot. And so I would see it as she walked around the yoga studio. And she told the story of how she got that. So she got that tattoo after she decided to leave her um, PhD and and I think it was sociology and was her area. And she changed courses in life. Um, And that tattoo is her representation of, of just a different decision and a different path. And she, I believe, was at the qual stage as well, or ABD. I mean, she was far into the program, um, and just decided to make a change. And she had that tattoo on her foot as a reminder of the piece and in that, in that choice, in that changing direction. So, um, you know, we're so accustomed to some of these kind of negative connotation words around our choices and quitting being one of those. So I just wanted to, to note that, that I'm just correcting myself even on air that I don't prefer to use that kind of language. just like, I don't prefer the word failure. There's so much stigma attached to failure and quitting and those kinds of things. And sometimes it's just a change of direction and change of decision. And that's, what's absolutely necessary. The other thing I wanted to say, um, was to comment on your, um, 
your comment about how the quals were the loneliest time for you in, in, in the program. And I wanted to just affirm that as I have reflected over the course of, uh, you know, after having gone from start to finish and finishing, when I look back on my program as well, um, especially after the dissertation defense, I, I always say, um, and have said that the hardest hurdle was the qualifying exam because for exactly what you said, um, you're completely alone in it. No one has reviewed your work. You have no feedback. You are, for me, I did it because I was a full-time grad student. I did it in three months. I did it over the summer. I got my questions at the start of the summer and I wrote all summer. And then I sat um, after, and, and you have no idea. And I remember I would often tell the story of there were days I would sit and I had a conference room in the, in the ed library all day, every day in the summer. Um, and I would, some days I would go in there and I would be like, this is amazing. This is so good. And then other days I was like looking at the same paper and I was like, I think this is junk. I don't know. This is horrible. You know, it just depended on the day as to how confident I was feeling or how horrible I was feeling about it. And I had no feedback, right? You kind of just take these questions in isolation and go right. And you have no feedback until you turn them in and go sit in that defense. And then you get to hear what people think about what you've spent months of your life doing and your work, which is vastly different than the dissertation defense where you're working with your chair and they're giving you feedback and you're making tweaks. So by the time you get into that room, you are the expert and it is a scholarly conversation and not, you know, at least for me, it wasn't this drilling, right? Of like, um, and so I, I just wanted to affirm what you're saying that I think that's the experience for a lot of people. The quals can be, depending on how they're set up, but especially the way it was set up in our program, it's a very lonely, you have no feedback, you're just doing the best you can. And then, you, you know, you hope for the best. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to affirm that. So you, you talk about that, you know, that fork in the road and, and you did decide you reached out to a few people, me and another friend, and you started to get a vision for, for what, what you could do and and what's next. So what, talk to us a little bit about that decision and what your plan was moving forward. Once you kind of had those conversations, what, what was your plan? What was your plan for success? What was your plan for doing this differently or how to approach this or yourself or, you know, the whole thing differently? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I talked of course with, with Ryan and, and, I knew, you know, still working full time, like this was going to take nights and weekends, especially to get done. And so I built a schedule for myself and I had a schedule in terms of when I needed to try to be done with this part of the draft and that. And, um, yeah, I actually used, uh, I bounced back and forth between the main library and the education library and got a little more settled in some of these smaller nooks. I went to campus to write as opposed to writing at home. Um, so I think I could separate the scholarly work I needed to do from just being home and being in a more of a state of rest. Um, I certainly also, I think I developed more of a plan in terms of understanding and having a better grasp on, you know, the lit review and having, cause I hadn't done a lit review. I couldn't, I don't know if I'd ever done one, which may sound crazy to people probably does. I don't know if I'd ever done lit review until I was asked to do one for walls. I mean, Dana, I think you lent me a book and I was like, Oh, Oh, this isn't that bad. But right. Like I was like naive almost. And I had to teach myself some things that I think people probably take for granted or assume I had a skill set or an experience that I didn't have. So some of it was also doing some education for myself on what it looks like to, to write and to do this well. And once I kind of got grounded a little bit more, my, I could feel my confidence going up. Um, and I felt like, 
I was writing something worth reading, um, which was which was exciting. But I really had to to buckle down. And I tell you, um, you know, like I said, I kind of was taking it slow. Um, and and really, come January, I was like, all right, this is it. Well, January twenty twelve, I also got pregnant with our son, and so um, the first five months I'm pregnant, I'm also writing my walls for the second time, and this was it. This was it. You don't get a third time. This was it. Um, and I just had to stay focused. And I um, I remember I was in the main library. We call it Willie T at University of Kentucky. I had myself all set up, ready to go for the day, just eating an apple. And all of a sudden I was like, ugh, ugh. and I ran to the bathroom, threw up because, you know, first first trimester, like it's no joke sometimes, um, got some water and, and went back and kept writing. Cause I was on a roll. <laughs> I wanted to keep going. Um, it wasn't easy and it was hard. Cause in some ways I also felt honestly, like I'm neglecting, not neglecting my pregnancy in a bad way. I was healthy, but like maybe wasn't taking in all the little moments because I'm growing a human while uh, growing my qualls. I mean, it was all happening at once. Um, and in some ways I wonder if <laughs> knowing that, like, if I can grow a human, I can pass these damn walls. Like I can, there was some empowerment maybe a bit too that I was hanging on to um, and a focus. Like now I genuinely have a, a due date. I have a due date for these calls because I got a due date for a person <laughs> that I'm going to raise. And so um, I have to, I have to admit, I think that also for me, I, it continued to, I had set a good foundation and then that just said, yep, we're going to build right here right now because this is what we've got and we're going to make it work. Um, so I definitely think getting some good guidance, uh, not being as intimidated, like trying to seek out like what is intimidating me and fix it, address it so that I am not the hurdle. I don't want to be my own hurdle. And so I definitely think some self-reflection was critical for me to move forward as well and to heal a little bit. Otherwise, I was going to be right back in the place I was April. 2011 sitting in that hallway knowing this did not go great. Hmm. So talk to us a little bit about the second time you sat for your calls. Um, what was that like and how was it different from the first time? Oh yeah. Dina, it was so great. Hmm. Well, for starters, no one knew I was pregnant. So I walk in five months pregnant and they're all like, Oh, you've been busy. And I'm like busy with qualls and raising a kid in my belly. Yep. So, I mean, I think it just, I was like, let's go. And I spoke with so much more confidence. I felt confident about what I wrote. I understood the material. It wasn't a surface level. Oh my God, I read three articles. I hope they don't notice kind of feeling. It was really, I felt more of like, you know, masterful understanding of, of the contrasts I made or, or the observations I had. And at one point, one of the wonderful committee members said, I'd just love to hear your opinion on X. She's like, I'm just really curious. Like, I'd love to hear your opinion. And I felt like she genuinely wanted to hear my opinion that this wasn't a test. This wasn't being drilled. This wasn't a setup. This was the start of a scholarly conversation. Um, and I like, cause at first I was like, what does she want to hear? Honestly, I'm like, what do you want to hear? I'll tell you anything. And when she was like, I just want to hear your opinion. Like, I'm not looking for anything that like actually freed my mind at a whole nother level for the rest of that conversation. And I think I got better as time went on in that conversation. Um, and I just remember, you know, I got to give it my all. Um, 
and I left the room and I, you know, didn't sit on the floor that time. I think I kind of walked around the hallway a little bit and it was like five minutes later, they came and grabbed me and I walked in that room and Dr. Goldstein, who had been with me the whole time as well, looked at me and said, that is what we knew you could do. That was it. That's who we want to keep seeing. And like, I get goosebumps saying that, like I did it. (laughs) I did it. Um, And I did it in a way that not only that, that certainly they seemed satisfied and proud, which, right, this is a hurdle. That's part of what you're doing. But I could stand there and be proud, Um, not only of the work I did, but the fact that I just got up from being, you know, kicked down. I made a choice and that that was the end result. Um, It was an awesome day. I, being five months pregnant, then went and bought my first maternity dress and a cupcake to celebrate because I could not have a cocktail. Um, I just was walking on cloud nine the rest of that day. I was to this day more than even the dissertation defense, which was fine, but honestly, it's not my favorite memory of the whole process either. It's that day. It's that day that's going to forever stick out to me um, as one of the, the, the most special day of the 10 years that I spent pursuing that PhD, more so than even walking across the stage. It's that day. It was redemption in its own way, I guess. And that felt good. So I was going to ask you, what, what's the meaning of that day as you, even now, as you talk about it, what's that meaning of that day that you hold? I think to some extent it is redemption. Um, but even that feels kind of shallow. I think it, I don't know, like all the, all the shame, all the humiliation I felt, I, I think, I mean, I was, just, I was really proud. I was proud. I could have made a different decision, but once I buckled in and said, well, I'm going to do this, I did it and I did it well. And I did it to in a place, in a way that I could be proud of. Um, that felt really good. It felt good. It was more than redemption. It was genuine pride that, damn, look at what I did. I did that. Sorry if I can, I'm like said the D word twice. I'm sorry, listeners. I get excited. I'm so sorry, listeners. Well, I think too, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I hear is in some ways, you know, it's, and, and you, we can never know, right? Because it, this is how it went down. But that that the experience and the meaning from that day, and it sounds like the confidence that you gained in that second um, exam day was so much greater than it probably would have been had you had that happened on on you know just one round. That it was because of, not in spite of, and that's why redemption maybe doesn't feel as meaningful. Is because it's because of what happened. Um, the first time. And because of that journey that you had to walk that made the experience of that second day that much more meaningful for you, that much more um, defining in a way for you. Um, am I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I'm just speculating based on what I'm hearing you say. I don't know if that resonates or not. No, it resonates completely. You're right on. I mean, you're right on. And, and you know, it took courage to, to get back up. Um, that was not easy. It took courage um, because I could have been humiliated again. I, I didn't know. We didn't, I didn't know how it would end. I had hopes of course, but um, you know, it's like I bet on myself <laughs> and I won. <laughs> I won. So um, there's a lot of pride still. I mean, I'm sitting in my office looking outside our beautiful campus and I'm just kind of staring out like there's a lot of pride. I'm, I'm proud of myself and that will remain finishing what I started Albeit the setbacks and the heartache 
and the confusion and the isolation and the frustration, finishing what I started is really meaningful to me. I can hang my hat on that at the end of the day. So how um, how did what you went through with your quals, how did that impact the dissertation stage for you or did it? Oof, it did. It did in a few, well, for starters, as, as soon as I left that space and got myself a cupcake, I was like, I'm done with this for a while. And so actually I checked out for about a year and a half. Um, I went through the rest of my pregnancy in the first year of our son's life without touching anything for my dissertation. And so in some ways, it was a similar kind of experience where it's like, okay. And then I started plugging away and, and, um, you know, I had my first three chapters and, and things were going well and I was doing my research. And then I got an opportunity to come to Virginia Tech and, um, I started this job in July, 2015. And, um, Dr. Jensen, my chair was like, please just try to eke out a first draft before you leave. And I'm like, totally totally did not do that. Um, and so she knew she was wise. I mean, right. I'm trying to learn a, a new job. I'm a first time director and I set it aside again for a year. So there was a lot of starts and stops with my dissertation and in some ways kind of similar to the quals, right? I mean, different reasons, but that start and stop that happened with quals too. And that re the need to refocus and to buckle down. And it came to that point, um, where Jane was like, we got to do this. Like there's a clock, you got to do this. And so I had to do the same kind of thing. I had to, anything that was intimidating and getting in my way, I had to, you know, try to clear out the difference this time. Of course, she was amazing. And I could actually talk to somebody who was invested in this work with me and could guide more. Um, But I, I worked every night except for Friday night for six months straight to finish this. I was in my office for 12 hours every Saturday, every Sunday. I only ate with my family. That's about the only time I saw them. Um, my son was three. So when your three-year-old's asking, when are you going to be done with your project? When are you going to be done with work? Like that's a, that's motivating as well. Um, I had to buckle down. It was time. I was either going to, once again, I was either going to finish this thing or it wasn't. But we were there. I was looking, you know, looking at that finish line and can I cross it? Um, so in some ways, you know, the, what the quals experience I think did for my dissertation is I knew I could do it because I'd done it before. Um, again, a very different experience because you have, in this case, I had Jane, who was just a wonderful trailer who was reading. Love this. What does this mean? Let's rethink this whole thing. You know, and it felt a lot more collaborative. Um and just somebody else to talk through things with. So that was vastly different. But in terms of the process itself, yeah, I had to clear the way uh, so that I could finish what I started. Mm. So if there are dissertation advisors and faculty members listening to this episode, what would you say to them? What can you offer them as someone who went through this as a student? The first thing, I've been thinking about this a lot today, Dina, um, give people a private room to wait when they're waiting to find out if they passed quals or their dissertation, like having to just stand in public with everyone all up in your business. We don't need to add that to people. I just don't feel like we need to add that. And that may seem small, but just give somebody space so they can take their deep breaths and have their feelings. And it's not literally in a hallway. I think that if you've come this far, I think students deserve that. And we should give grace and give space for that. So it may seem silly, but it would have been meaningful to me. Um, 
But, you know, the other piece too, I think never underestimate how much your words mean and matter to your students, um, faculty out there and, and chairs and committee members. Um, those words meant a lot. They, and, and for me, you know, as soon as my first round was done and I failed my quals, the fact that they were immediately like, here's some things we can do to clear the way for round two. Even that, like they weren't giving up on me. And not only were they not giving up on me, they were saying, let's figure, let us also be part of the solution here to see what we can't do. That meant a lot. Like, again, as isolating as it was for that one moment, (laughs) I did not feel alone. And that meant a lot. That meant a lot. And so I think those actions, um, what you say, when you say it, how you say it, how you show support, I get the academic barriers. I get we're supposed to be proving something. And some of that I think is archaic and hurtful and some perhaps is necessary. I I don't know. I haven't explored that a lot in my own mind, but let's all remember, like, this is a human trying to do a really hard thing and let's meet that space and that place with the compassion it deserves and demands. Well said. So what advice do you have for students who are listening right now who may be at their own, you know, fork in the road with their own educational journey or, or something else, I guess, another piece of their life? For whom, you know, especially now that the past months and years have not gone as they expected, and I'm sure there's, I know there's so many who have faced hurdles after hurdles and setbacks, what would you say to them? Sure. I say to them first that I am so proud. I'm going to speak to them if I can, Dana. So I'm going to say that I'm so proud of you, person out there having a hard time. It's been a hard time. And I want you to give yourself grace and to give yourself compassion and to really have some self-reflection on what your values are and what matter to you most and to the best of your ability, align your decisions with those values. If you are at a fork in the road, if you have had a setback or you're just trying to decide what's next for me, don't, don't do what you think everyone else wants you to do. Do what is right for you, align with your values, do it with purpose and know that you don't owe anyone anything. You owe it to yourself to do what is right for you. Um, And sometimes it can feel like there are consequences to that. And ultimately, I think the harshest consequence would be to not listen and and follow your instincts. I think we often want to bury our instincts or get validation before we follow those. And you're smart cookie out there in the podcast world. Don't doubt that. Follow your instincts and align with your values. Take a deep breath. And if it's your time to pivot, do it with no regrets. And if it's your time to keep going, find people like Dana and Amy and my husband and others that will quietly quietly stand by you while you get the thing done. That's what I'd say. Mm. Thank you. Heather, thank you so much for being on the show today, for sharing your story of failure and how you've come back from that experience and how you make meaning of that experience um, and for sharing your advice. And just it's just been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. This is um, this has just been a pleasure. And, and thank you, Dana, for thinking of me. I'm, I'm genuinely honored. Hmm. I'm Dr. Dana Malone. This is The Academic Life, and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again.